Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jacob Lee. We'll be in Mark 5 this morning. Um, it's printed in your bulletin, but if you want to uh, use a Bible there in front of you in the pews, um, Mark is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, if you find those names, Mark, Luke, John, if you see one of those, you're, you're close. Um, so as you turn there, I'll tell you a little bit, a little bit about myself. Um, for those of you I haven't met, uh, my name is Jacob Lee. Um, I am a campus minister with Reform University Fellowship um, at the College of Charleston downtown here. Um, and uh, RUF is the um, acronym. Uh, that's the denominational ministry of uh, the denomination that this church is a part of. So I serve on the college campus, um, meeting with students uh, who attend there, and um, we do one-on-one meetings, small groups. We open the Bible together. We have large group meetings. So um, that's the rhythm of what we do. Um, my family and I have lived here for uh, almost a year. Uh, my wife Allison is over there. Uh, I've got three kids, Hewitt, Annie, Drew, and Salem. And so it's been a joy to be uh, a part of this church and to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. So, um, all right, Mark 5. I'm going to read our passage this morning. We we are um, learning from this passage about Christ, our deliverer, about how Christ is our deliverer. Um, So I'll read for us uh, Mark 5, uh, verses 1 through 15. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send to us the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are so thankful for your word that you've given to us, um, that we know that you are trustworthy, and that you are revealing yourself to us this morning through this passage. Lord, even a passage that is uh, confusing, um, that seems hard to understand, um, that has demons and pigs in it, Lord, we know that your gospel is being presented to us this morning, and so we pray um, that as we 
learn from this passage this morning that you would um, reveal yourself to us, that you would make it clear what it is that you have for us this morning, um, and that you would do that um, through my humble, faltering words. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so, one of the things that you all probably don't know about me, I don't know very many of you very, many of you very well, is that I love Harry Potter. You could probably guess that that's the case because, you know, I'm of a certain age and grew up when they were coming out. Um, but as a kid, I grew up reading those books over and over and over and over and over again. Um, my sisters, I have three sisters. My sisters and I would uh, kind of cycle through the books and then we'd get the uh, audio books from the library and we'd listen to those over and over and over again. Um, like I said, I was growing up when they were coming out and the movies were coming out, so we would go to midnight showings of the movies. We'd go to midnight releases of the, of the last book, um, and it was just a really big part of my childhood. And I think um, some of you probably have similar stories, maybe about Harry Potter, maybe about other stories, um, books or stories to you that when you were growing up were really formative, really central to who you were. And I think one of the primary reasons uh, that this story and others like it capture our attention and our imagination is because so often we yearn for a story like this, um, like a story for like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or other, other stories like this, to be our story. Uh, we yearn to know and participate in these stories because we really long for them to be true. Um, we want the story of a deliverer, right? Like Harry Potter, he's this deliverer of the wizarding world. Uh, we long for a deliverer, one who can defeat evil once and for all. We want that story to be true for us. And our passage this morning tells us uh, about a true deliverer. It tells us about Jesus, the powerful one, the one who comes to conquer his enemies and bring true healing and restoration, not to the wizarding world, not to Hogwarts, but to our world. Uh, this man in Mark 5 that we find is in dire need of someone to deliver him. Like him, we also are susceptible to the forces of this world, physical brokenness, mental brokenness, emotional brokenness. We, like this man, need Jesus to deliver us and restore us to new life. Well, of course, it may feel kind of hard for you to relate to this man who's, you know, living amongst the tombs. He's breaking chains. Um, we can relate in that we often ourselves are in dry, difficult places and are weighed down by difficult things and dynamics. Friends, Christ is our deliverer. And this morning, there are kind of two parts to this story that we're going to look at. First, we're going to see the destructive power of evil. And secondly, we're going to see the true power of Christ, the destructive power of evil and the true power of Christ. So first, the destructive power of evil. So first, I want to address something that uh, probably many of you all are thinking, maybe in the back of your heads, maybe in the front of your minds, at least to some extent. Um, what is, what's going on here? What's happening with these demons, with uh, this kind of demon-possessed man? What's going on? There's like an exorcism of some sort that's happening here. It seems very weird. Uh, maybe if you're new to the Bible or to Christianity, uh, you're kind of like, this is why I, you know, haven't 
jumped into this before because it's, it's straight. This is a strange story. Um, and, you know, we're asking questions like, are demons real today? Could this happen to me? Could this happen to someone that I know? Um, and as we begin to think about that, I wanted to read a quote um, from C.S. Lewis, um, an author, about demons. So he says this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. And then this is a quote from um, his work, uh, The Screwtape Letters, which some of you may have read before. Um, the premise of the book is uh, that they're, it's a correspondence between two different demons or devils, uh, and they're talking about how to kind of trip humanity up. So it's a demon writing to another demon. And he says, uh, the quote is this, he says, our policy, the demon's policy, for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When humans, when human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us and we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, at least not yet. Um, that, that, that book, The Screwtape Letters, always kind of messes with my mind. Maybe it's doing the same for you. Um, uh, so I'm going to try to unpack a little bit about what he was saying. Um, so as we think about kind of the spiritual realm, as we think about demons, devils, angels, those kinds of things, it can be really easy to fall into a ditch on either side is what C.S. Lewis is saying. We can either make too much of demons or too little of demons. Because what he's saying is that demons are real. And if, so if we deny their presence, their rea the reality of them, we're actually subject to their power without knowing it. But he's also saying that if we are on the other side, the other ditch, uh, that if we dwell on them in this kind of spiritual realm too much, we essentially become distracted by it and we focus on these demons, these spirits. And thus we actually begin to lose track of the true message of the Bible. Because the message of the Bible and, and our passage this morning is that Christ is Lord. Yes, demons are real. Yes, Satan is real. But the point of our passage this morning is that Christ is more powerful than these demons, and Christ is in control. A few chapters earlier in Mark 5, Jesus says this. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he, unless he first binds the strong man. Here we find this idea of Jesus. He's implicitly saying that he has bound this strong man. What he's saying is that when Jesus came to earth uh, in his ministry, in his life, that he has bound the strong man, that he has put Satan, the chief demon, in chains. He has begun the work of defeating Satan once and for all. And in Mark 5, as we come to this passage this morning, we can clearly see that binding the strong man does not mean that the demons do not still have power, because clearly they do have power in our passage. So let's spend a moment um, seeing what the destructive power of evil is like in our passage. So first, uh, I want to note that uh, 
as, as we're looking at our passage, the, the great power that we actually see displayed here, this man, uh, this, as he's known, the de- demoniac, he is under the oppression of these demons, and his plight is dire. He is in real, true peril of destruction. We find that he lives amongst the tombs. We find that he is breaking his chains and his shackles, and he is harming himself. And in those statements, we find not only the power of the demons, but we also begin to see what their goal is in this man's life. Because their goal is to destroy the image bearer, to destroy a man, um, the one that they are possessing. And in our passage, we find that this demon actually is carrying this out in three ways. He's carrying it out through social isolation. Uh, The man is living amongst the tombs away from the town uh, through superhuman strength, right? He's breaking these chains. He's breaking his shackles. And then thirdly, self-destruction, because he actually is not only um, isolated, not only uh, breaking his chains, but he's actually harming himself. So it's clear to us that this, this demon has power over this man. Um, if you uh, know the original language, you know, the Greek that this came from, uh, the verbs in this text are actually in the imperfect tense, uh, which implies uh, a past action that is continuing into the present. So uh, it implies that this man was was continually crying out and cutting himself. These things that, that it's describing are things that have been happening for a while and are continuing into the present. Um, and it, when we see that, the verb tense, it begins to paint this really sad, heartbreaking picture. Because I want you to imagine for a moment that this is, you know, uh, your town and maybe this man is your brother. Maybe this man is your father. He might be your son or your grandson. And um, it, You've, you live in this town nearby to where the tombs are, and you can hear him crying out day and night. Um, and you know that he's crying out because he's actually harming himself. Um, and so it's really this heartbreaking picture of uh, if this were a community that you were part of, um, you would clearly see that this man is um, possessed and is harming himself. And before we uh, move on to begin to apply this passage to our own lives, I want to point out one last thing. In verse 3, uh, in the original language, uh, there are actually three negatives, three words that have, you know, are, are negative. And um, the repetition of these negatives uh, serves an important purpose. It actually emphasizes the serious nature of what's happening here. There really was nothing people could do for him. And not only was there nothing that people could do for him, if you look in verse 3, it says that they couldn't bind him anymore. And this is maybe the saddest part of the story that uh, things appear to be getting worse. There was a time in the past where they could bind this man, where they could keep him in chains and shackles, but um, they could keep him from harming himself. But that's not the case anymore. Um, This man is in dire, dire straits. So that was the, the destructive power of evil in this man, and uh, now we're going to look at the destructive power of evil in our own lives. Um, I wonder if some of you might feel like you're having a little bit of trouble relating to this man, re- putting yourself in his shoes, seeing how this experience might relate to you. Um, I would imagine you probably feel very, very different from him. Not only do you live in a different time, but I mean, I won't speak for anyone here, but I doubt anyone would say they've Maybe, maybe you, have, you would say you've been possessed by a demon, but um, it's not a very common occurrence in our world today. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, 
one of the presuppositions of our modern society is that there's always a logical explanation for everything. And I think maybe you might be running this passage through that kind of grid of understanding the world. But before you jump to that conclusion, I wonder um, if we're maybe more like this man than we at first might think. And if we can more easy, easily relate to him than we might think at first glance. And here's how I think that's true. Uh, we are all under the power of sin in our lives. Have you ever done something that you knew would have bad consequences, that you knew was wrong, um, but you did it anyways? Uh, maybe uh, it's you know, going on social media and posting that gossipy comment or gossipy post that you knew you were going to regret immediately after you did it. Um, maybe it's going to that website that you know always leads you into a dark place. Uh, maybe it's at your work and you, you fudge an expense report or you're not honest about your hours or maybe your year-end taxes. Um, I'd imagine that all of us in this room can relate to the feeling of knowing what is best and then going and doing the opposite. And the reason this happens, the reason we do these things is because sin is actually real and sin has real power and effects in our lives. And it can even at times feel self-destructive that when we sin, we actually are doing harm to ourselves. Uh, Sin, in our passage, we see that sin doesn't create, it destroys. And in our lives, it can even cause us to destroy ourselves. Sometimes this can be the result of a devil or a demon or some spiritual conflict, but without a doubt, this is the effect that sin has in our lives. And all of us in this room are alike under the destructive power of sin. So now that we have uh, investigated the power of evil, uh, I want to move on to the true power of Christ, the true power of Christ. So first, the true power of Christ in this man. Um, First, I want you to look in verse 7. Let's look at the demon's statement that he makes. Um, He says, uh, what have have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And the demon, in saying son of the most high God, uh, makes this kind of remarkable confession. Uh, You know, the gospels are all about these stories of people not, some of them are about these stories of people not understanding, people not, the disciples not getting who Jesus was, or people having these questions, being bewildered by him. But the demon here seems to be very clear in who this man in front of him is. He knows who Jesus is. There are no doubts about it. This demon sees things clearly. And I want you to see also that this exchange is between Jesus and the demon. This whole kind of passage, that's really the only two characters that are mentioned. Um, And there are, like I said, lots of other stories throughout the Gospels of the disciples or the Pharisees or these different characters. Um, But this passage this morning is meant to demonstrate who Christ is and the way in which he is in complete and utter control of the situation. The main purpose of this story this morning is what some would say Christological, or uh, another way of saying that is a word about Christ. It's meant to teach us about who Christ is, to give us a word about Christ. Secondly, I want to note the demon's posture in verse 6. It says, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. So the demon, when he sees Jesus coming, fell face down before Jesus. And the word 
the original word here is meant to be more than just falling down. It's meant to convey uh, the demon making this kind of act of concession uh, and entreaty in the face of Jesus' power. Uh, the demon's posture towards Jesus demonstrates that this demon and the other demons are fully aware that they have no power over him. They bend the knee, they pay homage to him, just like in you know, medieval tales, you would bend the knee before your uh, king or your lord. Um, that's what the demons are doing. They're, they're bending the knee, they're paying homage to him. Even the demons fall down in the presence of this man, the Christ. And then thirdly, we see how the demon pleads with Jesus. Um, that's in verse uh, 7 as well. Uh, he says, I adjure you, which uh, maybe unless you're a lawyer uh, or maybe you just are really well read, you know what that word means, uh, but I didn't really, so the internet told me what it means. It said an adjuration is, an, is to, to adjure is to urge or request someone solemnly or earnestly to do something. You're making a request of someone, um, and you're kind of pleading with them. Uh, And that's what's happening here. The demon is making a plea before Jesus. Some have seen this, uh, some have interpreted this passage as the demon uh, trying to make a bargain with Jesus, trying to kind of, uh, you know, make a compromise with him. Uh, And if if that were the case, uh, it would imply that they're at least somewhat on the same level, the demon and Jesus. But I think it's pretty clear that this is not a bargain. Uh, it's not a discussion. Uh, we find that in our passage, Jesus is in total charge and command of the situation. When it comes to Jesus, these demons plead. They don't negotiate. Uh, the mighty demons quail before Jesus and beg him, their superior, for a favor. Jesus in our passage is portrayed as having true power. And we see the demon's power. Well, he does have power. His power is subject to another. Um, as I was thinking through this, I began to think about um, a children's story, uh, Robin Hood. You know, they have that animated movie, which when I was growing up, I watched some. Maybe some of your kids have seen it as well. Um, with the animals, right? The... the um, is he a fox? Uh, lions, foxes, you know, elephants, rhinos. And it's the story of uh, Robin Hood kind of put, to the, put in that world. And in the story, uh, the main kind of uh, antagonist is Prince John. And he is kind of this evil ruler who, you know, does taxation without representation. And he, uh, you know, takes all these people's money and he imprisons people. He's kind of like, you know, acting. um, He is in control, but he's acting all these things out in the community. And the whole point is that Robin Hood, you know, takes the money and steals from rich, gives it to the poor, the whole story. You guys know the story. Um, But what's interesting is that uh, Prince John... uh, he is acting with authority. He is acting with power, and he has power. Um, but at the, end of the, at the end of the story, right, King Richard um, returns, and he is the true king. He's been away, I guess, on the Crusades, you know, doing lots of nefarious things. But um, the story doesn't, the animated story doesn't really get into that. But um, he returns, and he is clearly, he's the one who has the true power, and he sets things right. He kind of rights all the wrongs that um, Prince John had, had made. And so we see this dynamic of uh, one person having power, but that power actually being subject to another who actually has the true power. And I think that that's true in our passage as well, that we see that this demon does have power, just like Prince John, um, but his power is actually subject to King Richard, or in our passage, subject to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has true power. Um, 
as we uh, kind of come to a conclusion, I want to point out again to you the desperate state that this man was in and the huge change that has taken place. So in the beginning of our passage, we find that this man was, we said he was socially isolated in the tombs. He was living amongst the dead, which was uh, in that day, a, a dirty place, an unclean place to live. Um, he was breaking his chains, right? There was a time when he could be bound, but at, when we find him in our passage, he can't be bound anymore. He breaks his chains. And he was crying out day and night, and he was harming himself. <clears throat> um, but after he comes into contact with Jesus, I want you to look at the change that has occurred. Um, in, the, in our last verse, it says that he is sitting in the presence of Jesus. Um, he goes from uh, living in the tombs amongst the dead, and he finds himself sitting in the presence of Jesus. He's clothed, which really assumes that he was naked before or in some state of undress, and he's in his right mind. He's no longer crying aloud. He's no longer harming himself. Uh, One of my friends told me that this verse to him is one of the most beautiful verses of the Bible, um, verse 15, and I have to agree with him um, just to see the stark difference that Jesus makes in this man's life. Um, So that was the true power of Christ in this man, and now the true power of Christ in our lives. What does this mean for us? How do we experience Christ's power, his deliverance in us? And as we um, uh, kind of wrap things up, I want to think in three ways about the three changes that that took place in this man's life and kind of think about how that might apply to us. So sitting, clothed, and in our right minds. So what does it look like to be sitting before Jesus as this man does? Uh, Psalm 1, some of you might be familiar with Psalm 1, uh, talks about um, what a life of wisdom looks like. And it says um, that uh, those who are unwise, the foolish, sit in the seat of scoffers. And there's these images throughout the Psalms of uh, when you sit somewhere, you're kind of putting yourself in submission to that place, to to those people. Um, And the question that the the Psalm asks is, where are you doing that? Where are you putting your, where are you sitting? Where are you putting yourself um, under submission? And uh, that's a good question for us is where do we sit? Um, Where are we seated? And as I was thinking about it, um, I was wondering if we feel like we are seated before God's word um, more than other words, uh, more than other things in our lives. And uh, one of the things that I've um, observed in my own life, so I'm a a podcast person. I don't know how many of you guys are podcast people. Um, But I find myself, uh, when I have a a podcast I've been listening to for regularly or for years, um, you know, the people's voices come on and it's just kind of a comforting place to be, right? You, You know, you're maybe you know you're in, in, good, in good hands, you get to kind of hear these voices that you've come to know and understand well. And I wonder uh, how often we feel like that about the Bible, how often we feel like that about God's words. Um, are we, are we uh, and I'll speak for myself, spending more time listening to podcasts, voices that, you know, I used to listen to Bill Simmons, I can't really stand him anymore, but um, this, he's a sports guy. Uh, and there was a time when I, w- I felt like I knew his voice better than I knew the Bible because I would just hear it over and over again. So I think it's a question um, for us. Are we sitting before God's word um, before other voices, other, other, vo- other words? So that was sitting. What does it look like to be clothed? Um, in Genesis 3, in the beginning of the Bible, uh, God gives Adam and Eve dignity. 
Uh, he sees their shame when they uh, realize whether they've sinned, and he provides them clothes. Um, he provides them a way out. He sees their dignity. He sees their shame and gives them dignity. And I wonder where in our lives um, we experience shame. I wonder if you experience shame in your parenting. Um, there's lots of, you know, mommy shaming. I don't know about daddy shaming, but I'm sure some people have done it um, out there in the world. Maybe you experience shame in your work. Um, you know you don't live up to the standards that you're supposed to. Maybe you see shame in your relationship to money. Maybe in your relationship to sex. Wherever it is in your life that you experience shame, um, Christ sees it and covers it. Uh, you know, in the, those action movies where there's been this kind of harrowing event and the protagonist is, you know, battered and bruised and um, he, at the end of the movie, the ambulance has come and someone puts like a bl- blanket on him and he gets to sit in the back of the ambulance. I mean, there must be like hundreds of movies where it ends with like someone sitting in an ambulance with a blanket over them. Um, but that's kind of the image that I'm, that I'm thinking of here, that uh, Jesus comes and sees what you've been through. He sees your bruises, your wounds, um, and he covers you with a blanket and provides you a safe place um, to be. He sees your frailty and he clothes you. Um, So that was sitting before Jesus, being clothed, and then thirdly, what does it look like to be in our right minds? Uh, And I wonder if maybe this question feels like it hits uh, close to home today. Um, Maybe you struggle with depression and anxiety, and you don't often feel like you're in your right mind. You feel like your mind sometimes is actually attacking itself. Um, Maybe your mind is failing you with a problem you have in your life or in your work that you just don't really, can't really figure out what to do for the life of you. Uh, maybe your mind is actually so full of kind of sinful thoughts, of lustful notions, of, you know, images, of jealousy, of coveting, of hate. Um, and I know that my mind often fails me in these ways, um, just like it does for you. Um, wherever you are this morning, our passage is pointing us to one who is able to deliver us from these places. Christ on the cross dealt a blow to the power of sin and demons in our lives. Earlier, we talked about this dynamic of Christ having bound the strong man. Uh, But of course, we know today that that we are not free from the power of sin. Uh, We know this experientially in our lives, that Christ has come, but still we suffer from depression. Christ has come, and still we sin in these ways that we wish we wouldn't. Christ has come, and still we're prideful, and we want our own way over His. Friends, Christ has delivered the decisive blow. Demons and sin are on the way out. They are bound. Um, But we know that they're not fully defeated. But we are marching toward that final day when Christ returns and he raises us us up in glory. We are marching towards the final day when the strong man is not only bound but defeated. On that final day, we will be like this man, sitting in Christ's presence, clothed in righteousness, and our minds will no longer be under the power of sin and death. I hope this is good news to you this morning as it is to me. Let's pray. Our Father, we long for this to be true of us. We know the power of sin and corruption in our lives, and we long for this to be true of us. We long to be sitting in your presence, clothed and in our right minds. And we pray that um, you would do that, Lord, that your Son um, would come quickly and would destroy the power of evil 
and death once and for all, <clears throat> and that um, we would get to see that day. But as we live here in this world now, um, give us perseverance, give us hope, help us to rest in the work that Christ has done, uh, that he has bound Satan and his power, the, the demons and the devil's power, is subject to your son's power. I pray that that would be true for us and good news to us this morning. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.